T-shirts for the 2020 Mac DevOps Conference will be on sale for the next two weeks. So this is your chance to buy a T-shirt or a hoodie with the Mac DevOps 2020 logo, our coolest T-shirt logo ever. It is the coolest T-shirt ever. So head over to mdoyvr.com, scroll down a little, and click the Buy a T-shirt or Hoodie button. Welcome to the Mac DevOps YVR podcast. This podcast is about the Mac DevOps YVR conference in beautiful Vancouver, British Columbia. We interview guests and discuss topics around managing Macs using open source software products inspired by DevOps. Our goal is to encourage developers and IT to work together to solve problems for our community. For more information, see our website, mdoyvr.com. This is the Mac DevOps podcast. Hi, everybody. This is JD. If you are just joining us for the MDO YVR podcast uh, and stepped into this episode, I highly recommend that you go back to episode 23, uh, which is the first part of our interview with Howard Oakley. He is a wealth of information, and we didn't want to abridge uh, our interview with Howard, but we also didn't want an hour and a half podcast. Enjoy the second part of our interview with Howard Oakley from Electric Light Co. And so you said uh, you were developing all your apps in Swift, and yep. you're liking that a lot? Yes. Um, I, I, I have nothing against Objective-C. It is a fine language. There is a huge amount of really marvelous code that's been written in Objective-C. It's my problem. I just don't cope well with it. <laughs> um, but then... I spent a lot of my, I mean, when I was doing all the commercial work, the CAD CAM stuff, I programmed in Object Pascal. And I love Object Pascal because it's the only programming language of, of many that I've used that I can actually fall asleep on the keyboard because I'm so exhausted, but I will still be writing clean code. Um, <laughs> And I, to me, that's one of the critical things. If you, I, I love APL as well. Do you know APL? No, what's that? It's, it, it's the one that's sort of written all in Greek characters and you get one line of code that's completely incomprehensible that does a complete fast Fourier transform without calling any functions externally. It, it, it is incredibly concise. It, it was devised as a mathematical um, a language of mathematical expression. Um, by a guy called Ken Iverson. Um, absolutely wonderful. I love, really love APL. Writing a line of code a day in APL is an achievement. <laughs> wow. it, and, and it's the sort of language, it's like playing chess. You know, you'll think for, for an hour or two about exactly how to structure that line, and then it goes in and it will do so much. Um, APL is not a language for casual use. It's not a language to use at three o'clock in the morning when you need to ship the product at seven. I, I think that's probably in opposition to the lives of many uh, sysadmin slash DevOps engineers who are hacking together code. And no disrespect to my uh, colleagues, but sometimes very quickly putting together Python scripts or shell scripts yeah. or quickly trying to patch uh, fires or... <laughs> Yeah, and w one of the dangers, I think, with Swift is that there is that highly idiomatic side to it as well. Um, and it's lovely to see some of the example Swift code that is written by the real Swifties. Um, I don't code like that. I code as much as I can 
so that when I'm falling asleep on the keyboard and I'm finding it hard to keep my eyes open, I can still understand my code and I can see where my bugs are. Um, and I, what I like about Swift is it gives you that flexibility. You can still write very clear, structured code in it, or you can be incredibly idiomatic and, and really get the power out of the language and, and, and do incredible things that I have to sit and think and work through. Yeah, I think I just about understand how that works. Um, but that's not the way I write code. And so do you have a busy summer of code writing or are you testing the new uh, betas this summer? I'm definitely on to Big Sur, which I'm loving. Um, and my what I would always like to do is bef well before the next major Mac OS comes out, I like to have all my apps ported and fully compatible. And this year, of course, I want them all um, universal apps as well, um, and the command tools, including Silnite, um, I want as a universal binary too. Um, now, for most of it, actually, that's proving very straightforward. Um, and um, the, the catches in making universals um, are really very, very few and far between um, for, for the fairly basic stuff that I do. Um, that there, it really is just a matter of rebuilding it, um, which is lovely. That's uh, so good. And you're setting the target to the new, is it 10.11 or 10.16 in Xcode? Oh, <laughs> 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 uh, yeah, but you see, I'm, I'm building in the new um, universal app-capable versions of Xcode. So they um, are using the... Um, Mac OS 11 SDK. So, as far as they're concerned, it is Mac OS 11. Uh, I like simple things. So, I now have a little routine that simply says if it says it's Mac OS 11, we'll call it version 16. Um, so, you know, I, I can still work on um, a consistent single integer that's incremented. Um, and then, of course, we can cope with um, 17 in a year's time, hopefully. What's what's your most exciting thing with Big Sur? What are you most excited for? Um, I don't. You see, at the moment, I haven't got anything that really explores what Big Sur can do. Um, and I, at the moment, I think for for me, it's going to be more interesting looking at Apple Silicon and looking at the different, I, for example, um, we've talked a lot about Silent Night. One of the things Silent Night does is it looks at firmware versions. There isn't any EFI firmware in Apple Silicon because there's no EFI. I don't know what is going to be there to replace it. I'm sure there's some sort of firmware there. Um, and I'm sure it's going to need to be updated. So we've got all those things to discover. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, yeah, it's, there's a lot of little things out there. The thing that I'm having a bit of a bee in my bonnet about at the moment um, is over snapshots. Um, because <laughs> Big Sur does one very nice thing, um, which comes and bites you back. 
when you um, update Mac OS, um, it automatically, but because the sealed system volume is a snapshot, what it does is it archives that snapshot, installs the new system, makes a snapshot of that sealed, and that becomes the new system. So you've then got your rollback of your previous system version, which is sat there as a snapshot. Absolutely lovely. Except that if you have a major update that replaces eight gigs of the old system, that means you've got an eight gig overhead in your snapshot. So most users will, after a couple of weeks, think, no, I'm happy with the new version. Let's reclaim the disk space from the old snapshot. You can't do it because it's on the sealed system volume and it's not mounted for writing anyway. So uh, the only way to remove that snapshot at the moment seems to be to initialize the system volume and install Mac, Mac OS again. Oh, which I'm sure is not what Apple intends. So there needs to be a way of doing that. But it's opened up the whole problem of snapshots. I love snapshots. I think they're a marvelous idea. And I think the way that Apple has handled them is very protective of users. But like it or not, there are snapshots that get orphaned. And if you've got an old orphan snapshot, it can steal space. Apple says, well, of course, that space isn't really stolen because if, if the system needs it, it can always reclaim it. The snapshot will be deleted. Well, that's fine, except, of course, in the case of Big Sur's system snapshots. Um, but that's fine. But um, actually, most users would like to be able to delete, delete that snapshot as, as a, a controlled act, a piece of management of their own disk space. But at the moment, you can only do that if you buy... Um, carbon copy cloner. Right, because you can manage the snapshots. We, uh, and I would never deter people from buying CCC, but it's a, not... To have to do that in order to maintain your snapshots is ridiculous. And you can't even find out how much effective space on a volume a snapshot is taking. Yeah. That information is not available. And I think that needs to change. Apple needs to recognize that people who are maintaining their computers, their Macs, need to be able to be trusted. I'm happy that they don't, every man and his dog isn't making an app that makes snapshots because that would be utter chaos. And I, I like the protective system for that. And it's very good that Apple is restricting the entitlement that allows you to make snapshots. Um, but to be able to maintain snapshots and at least to find out how big the things are effectively is really important for users. And you can't do that in the command line. As a sysadmin, if you want to know how much space is occupied by snapshots on a volume, you've got to install CCC. Yeah, you should be crazy. TMUtil, I mean, you should be able to manage your, well, you, your you snapshot. You can in TMUtil, but only for time machine backups. Right. I mean, snapshots. if there's uh, local snapshots, you should be able to manage those as well. And 
anything that mm. makes a snapshot. Well, Apple's philosophies, well, of course, they will only give the entitlement to those apps that maintain their own snapshots. Well, that's fine. So you use CCC, you then delete it. You've only got a single user license. You move it to another system, use it on there, and then you go back to that system. CCC is no longer there. The snapshots are. Right. <laughs> and, and sometimes I have seen time machine utility, uh, time machine snapshots um, getting orphaned. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, these things happen. This is, this is life. If you're going to have snapshots, some will get orphaned. And if the only way you have of deleting them is by buying a third party utility, there is something seriously wrong there. Yeah, I'm a big fan of Mike Bombick. Uh, he saved my life as a sysadmin with NetRestore and all these apps that he built. And I'm really happy that he got the entitlement for the snapshots. But I've tried to help other companies get the entitlement for snapshots, backup software companies. And it's yep. very near impossible. And I think that you know, having seen ZFS in action and, and BTRFS and other snapshot-based systems, um, there's so many wonderful things that we could be doing and Apple needs to, in the one case, clear it up so that we can clear up these snapshots and manage them. But also we need to be able to have, I guess we'll see now with Time Machine supporting APFS, if you can send a snapshot easier and if you can manage your backups easier in a more easy system. And I'm hoping that they can improve this uh, for everyone in, you know, for all the different scenarios. Yeah, Time Machine on AP APFS is going to be very exciting. Um... So far, looks very good. Um, no, no issues that I've seen. But of course, we all know Time Machine is one of the least tested parts of Mac OS during the beta testing um, because so many beta test systems aren't running Time Machine. Um, Mail app is another one um, because so many beta test si systems don't use Mail normally. Um, and th these are some of the problems that Apple faces with the beta testing, that Time Machine won't get really hammered until Big Sur is released. Um, and just as with Catalina, that's when the problems will start to appear. Yeah, I think we need a system to, um, to spin up um, throwaway dev um, iCloud accounts that you can set up a test system <laughs> with. Because, you know, there's the brave souls that, you know, run the betas on their main system. And then in previous years, you've heard of their iCloud data being trashed or. Oh, don't don't talk to me about iCloud last year. <laughs> I, I, I was really lucky. I didn't lose my iCloud. But for most of the beta phase, my iCloud was just a mess of duplicated folders um, that uh, it, thankfully, by the time the final release came out, it was all tidied up. I s had to sit and spend about an hour um, tidying it all up. I think I did that twice or three times be before it finally took. Yeah, it's it's th these things are not easy to beta test, um, and I think Apple was very very wise to um, to backtrack on that last year. So. Um... Do you have any uh, testing uh, best practices you want to share with us? Uh... <sighs> um, actually, the, the, the very best practice, all, all the tools that I use, I run the latest version. So on my Catalina production system, um, all my own tools that I've made as universal apps are now those universal apps. And it's, I mean, 
Silent Night, for example, most users will run maybe once every few days. I run Silent Night at least four or five times a day because it's the only way of picking up when Apple has actually pushed an update. Um, <clears throat> and so I'm now running my universal app version of Silent Night. Um, Ulbo, when I do all my log browsing, I'm, uh, th that's the best thing to do. And, and people who have this sort of division between under test and production for their own tools, um, I think, are going to run into problems. Do you, do you test on a separate system or uh, do, you, do you test mostly on a production system? Or? Oh, yeah. Um, apps I test on the production system because if they're my app and it goes pear-shaped, I want to find what, what was wrong with it. Um, no, I... I I have a MacBook Pro, um, a 16-inch at the moment, um, which is my Big Sur test system. Um, my, my MacBook Pro and, and its predecessor um, only really get used for three months in the year, um, which is the beta test phase. And then the rest of the year, they just fall back. I still write um, for Mac Magazine. I write for Mac Format and Mac Life. And... Um, when I get questions about um, MacBooks, MacBook Pros, what have you, and I mean, for example, if I need to do the um, uh, <coughs> battery management and stuff, um, then that's where I take my screenshots and do do the testing. But three months of the year is the the essential requirement for that system. Um, I use my iMac Pro um, as my production system. And last year I didn't upgrade it to Catalina until Boxing Day. Wow. Simply because it's got so much stuff on it that I could not, like all production systems, until you're really happy that it's going to move up. Mm -hmm. um, and I then made the big mistake of switching over from um, a lovely... Um, hard disk based RAID to what I had intended to be an SSD RAID um, in the new year and that went horribly pear-shaped um, and in the end um, I'm just backing up to individual SSDs um, which is absolutely fine now but I, I had to completely rethink my entire backup strategy before I could get this thing to work. That was that was uh, a learning experience. More articles on the blog. Well, in everyday life, we have to think of, every every day we have to think about backups, and especially with testing and testing systems. And um, are you using Time Machine or cloud backups or multiple different systems? Or um, at the moment, on the production system, I use Time Machine to back up one folder. Um, I use ChronoSync. Um, to back up, and I use Carbon Copy Cloner to back up, and I also make clones. Um, so I, I've got myself reasonably covered. I'll tell you in a second one really bizarre thing I do um, with backups. Um, and everything that's important, all the stuff I do for publication, all goes on to iCloud as well. I don't use another cloud service provider. And from everything that I've heard, there. Um, cloud backups are not as good as they should be. 
<laughs> a lot of people who told me very, very painful experiences that they've had from very good cloud service providers, but simply because it's a Mac. I mean, I know, for example, things like extended attributes often get stripped um, with certain cloud services. And it's only when you come to restore from your backup that you suddenly discover how much has gone with those. The bizarre thing that I do with my backups, because I'm so log oriented, is I back up all my log files. And I have about three or four months of log files now. And one of these days, I was just thinking earlier today, I'm going to see if I can make a log archive from two months ago from that. Um, that that's going to be interesting. What's your methodology for backing up your logs? Are you just uh, just backing up the like exporting as text files or exporting them as log files or how are you? Nope, nope. Th these are the original compressed binary log files pulled out of. Um, the directory. Um, the, the reason that I do it is because I've realized that for, for a number of reasons with my production system, um, I only have about five or six days worth of old logs, um, which for the unified log is unusual. Um, last time I sort of really looked at this seriously, I was getting about 20, 25 days. Um, and I was very distressed because I, 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 I love the log. Um, and given, given a few free moments, I'll go and vanish into it. Um, and I was upset that if I wanted to look at something that had happened two or three weeks ago, I couldn't do that anymore because my logs were being rolled so quickly. And part of that is because I have a UPS that's connected with a USB um, because that automatically every second or so writes a whole barrage and there's no way that you can remove that a whole barrage of log entries so that happens 24 hours a day and it that and other things just eat the log space up so i wanted to be able to go back in my log files for at least a couple of months um in the event that something did happen then but of course all this is now is is a folder that's gradually growing with every single one of these archived log files and because they're the original ones i've got to access them either using something like albo or using log show but they're no longer in a normal structured system log format so we'll see how albo gets on with that one yeah, I was going to ask, are you looking at them with Elbow and maybe this is uh, an extension of your current app or a new app? How do we uh, parse a, uh, an archive that goes back months and months? Because maybe we're um, you know, trying to figure out when that malware uh, started uh, digging into your system and when that maybe uh, some kind of other one, you know, trying to look through some issues and maybe you do need to do diagnostics on an archive of logs. Um, that could be a good app. Um, I'll throw my suggestion out there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a very good question. And from my understanding of what Albo should be able to do, um, it should be able to reach back to an individual log file from anywhere in the past. Um, but I'd yeah, wait out on that one. There will be an article when I found time to go back and actually try this out. 
but yes, it's it's one of my projects. Yep. Sweet. We'll get there. Well, yeah, that'd, that'd be awesome, because once you start tackling this issue on, a, on some kind of scale, people are uh, using all kinds of manners of uh, log streaming services and sending their logs off and putting them into different uh, services like Kibana or you know Prometheus. And it gets very complicated very fast when you start aggregating all these logs and trying to make sense of all yep. the data. Um, so a simple tool. We look forward to this simple tool. Well, and no, I, I think Elbow should be able to do that because Elbow can open an individual um, log file within um, what is ostensibly a structured set of log directories. Um, so I don't, I, there's, I don't think there's any. But I haven't tried this on my this this um, juggernaut of log files yet. Um, that's going to be fun. I was I was struck by this image of you saying that the first programming uh, project you were taking, of course, the, it's also astounding that you said you was you were doing weekends and evenings from your doctor uh, uh, day job. But mm -hmm. the the image of you saying, "Well, I was just my first programming job is working on this laser cutter." I'm like, "Yeah, sometimes we program dangerous things. We take down the website. Oh, the website's down, but yeah, I'm just imagining you uh, got something going horribly wrong with this laser cutter, and you're, oh no." No, it's worse than that. It's worse laser than... cutters. Oh yes, laser cutters aren't too bad because actually they don't cut through everything. Okay, they good. Did mess up a few of the cutting tables. Um, plasma jet cutters are the really good ones because <laughs> if you get it wrong with a plasma jet cutter, you can even be cutting the concrete in the floor. And, oh my! Um, yeah, the, the 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 same firm that. Did this did plasma jets and in fact my software was used on a couple of the plasma jets um but they had um someone else who made plasma jets that could actually rotate the cutting head um <laughs> about the vertical axis and they actually cut a hole in their roof with their plasma jet cutter. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> oh, yeah dear. kids today they just don't know what kind of trouble they could get into you know <laughs> Now, the big, my big concern was that um, when these sail makers were making sails, um, very often the fabrics that they were using um, in, in any given sail were worth several hundred, maybe thousands of pounds. So if they messed up on a design, um, then they would be writing off a lot of money. Um, and you, you don't know, because all these things are designed and cut in two dimensions. And then you actually loft the whole sail out into the third dimension. Um, so until the sail is actually assembled, you have no idea whether it worked. No pressure. No pressure. No pressure. <laughs> oh, and I also did paraglider design. That was another Ooh. exciting one. Oh, wow. oh yes. <laughs> <laughs> the test pilot was very nice to me. <laughs> Yeah, his life depended on it. <laughs> exactly. Oh wow! Uh, mm, right. You you had mentioned that um, Apple is moving away from command line tools, um, and and you're doing a lot more in Swift to access these resources. Have you noticed them opening up more of those attributes in libraries and things like that in Swift for you to access, or? Or is yeah. it just cut off? It's all gone. Um, it, 
it's I don't think you can make a generalization. I mean, there are there are some really good bits in the Mac OS interfaces where you've got really rich access, and there are other bits that are just completely missing. Um, you know, with bundles, for example, you can mm -hmm. get almost any information you want about a bundle, um, which is really wonderful. A Marco file? No. What's one of those? Right. Yeah, you know, which is right. which is lovely if you're going to just look at bundles. But as I've been doing with Arch Architect um, recently, um, you then discover that there's no good way of telling within Mac OS within the interface calls um, wh whether a Marco file is a fat binary or not. You've got to go to a command tool, which is. I'm I'm happy to do it because I'm quick and dirty, and if it works, I'm happy with it. But sure. it's it's not a good way to be going. People, I I I think a lot of people get very wound up about Apple, and I have a number of people who, who make comments on my blog, which I find quite upsetting about how abusive they are of Apple, and I don't think they appreciate that. Actually, a lot of Apple engineers um, work really hard to try to make sure that people are happy. And actually, at management level, I think Apple is concerned. What I think Apple lacks is that feeling for the independent software developer that it used to have. When I did that work with TrueType, for example, Apple didn't think twice. They didn't start saying, oh, that's going to be, uh, that'll cost you so much. It was immediate, right, we'll get hold of the guy who knows all about TrueType and the two of you can sort it out between you. No right. questions. I can't yeah. imagine that happening today. Now, some of that, of course, is sheer size and numbers of developers. Um, but it is also an attitude. Apple engineers can afford to do that with people that they know. Um, and, for example, I know that um, some of the SOC hardware engineer team read my blog quite regularly, which is rather nice. Um, but of course, everyone says, look, you know, I really enjoy your blog, but please don't tell anyone who I am and that I told you this. Right. And, and that, that I find rather sad. It never used to be like that. Yeah, sure. Things like we're bringing out Apple Silicon, you expect to be secret. Um, but details of APFS that have no proprietary importance at all shouldn't be secret. But Apple's like that within Apple. Right. The siloing is horrible. Yeah. Jonathan Levin, for example, said to me, you know, Jonathan, um, yes. that his, his books sold most. His biggest single customer was Apple. Because right. Apple engineers had to buy them to find out what the hell went on in Mac OS. <laughs> Isn't that appalling? Yeah. It never used to be like that. Yeah. Every Apple engineer would have a set of inside Macintosh, and it was, it was beautiful. They're wonderful books. And, and Apple is not just not bothering to do it, but it's actively preventing it. Yeah, when and I was trying sad. to find out information about snapshots and find anybody res responsible for this, it was just impossible. A lot of yeah. people trying to help, a lot of people, but just couldn't get anywhere inside, you know. And 
Yeah. Do you, do you think it's because we no longer have a tinkerer at the top? We have a finance guy? No. No. No, no I, I, it's I, just a general I attitude of management. I think it's, it's corporate control. We had yeah. the same thing in the job I was doing as a doctor because I worked for the Royal Navy for the Ministry of Defence. And it, it, it was nothing to do with national secrecy or security or anything else. But there, there were walls that were erected to make sure that no one knew what particular groups were doing which gave them the freedom to do what the hell they wanted because no one sure. was actually keeping an eye. And you get all these sorts of power things. And the bigger the organization, the more of that goes on. And I think it's that. It's, it's not really a disease. It's just so sad. It's a bunch it? of fiefdoms all, all competing for resources and not working yeah. with each other. Yeah, and and the, there are the corporate strategists who actually don't give a shit what the product does or whether it right. works or anything, but who want to make sure that their group is actually in the lead and, you know, gets all the high profile stuff. And, and, and that's sad, but you get it no matter where you go, the, as right. organizations get big. But Apple engineers are still as good as they always have been, both technically and as people. Yeah. Yeah, we got to see a lot of them at WWDC in, in video format, yeah. and uh, the, it was interesting uh, seeing more of them doing shorter videos, which I really always appreciate, uh, and then sharing yeah. with us. So. I think that was actually more successful than the physical WWDC. Yeah, I, I mean, I haven't been to a WWDC in 10 years, and, and having that much access and... and uh, being able to sit in the forums. I didn't sit in the forums very much, but uh, I sat in on somebody else's engineering session and that was fantastic uh, yeah. to actually be have one-on-one -on -one time with an engineer. And half the time yeah. when I attended WWDC even a decade ago, that one-on-one -on -one time, they were like, okay, well, we, you know, the, they're watching the clock, they're they're on edge so they don't get overheard to be to say something you know off or whatever and i i didn't feel yeah. like that uh in that session so yeah i hope they i hope they continue this it really opened them them up to more people and and more prospective developers i think weren't the presentations so much better because they could actually it wasn't just being presented for an audience right it was actually being presented for the world I, I I thought I think they were more succinct, you know, and more focused. Yeah. Instead of a, a larger topic with three speakers that would trade off and tack a huge yes. topic, they could be a little bit more focused. Kind of like, I mean, I really like the quick talks what I saw in DevOps days, so I did that in Mac DevOps. Just having people, let's just talk about this one focused thing, you know, whether it's a, yeah. you know, and I really appreciate that it. it's it's accessible. I mean, it's not that our attentions aren't, you know. Uh, our attentions are reduced these days, but still, it's nice to have a focus session. Here's APFS, or here's Apple Silicon, or here's this uh -huh. one thing happening. Or, but we need yeah. more. We need more assisted mins as developers. We need to no, know no, no. About no, the internal. no that's, your, that's your lot of documentation for the next 12 months. Sorry. <laughs> that's the most you're getting. We're not getting any more. And they'll change out. everything on a point release. So. Well, we'll we'll find out. In worry. the meantime, we'll rely on our our community to post results and share their knowledge of what they're learning. And uh, yeah. well, uh, I want to thank you very much, uh, Howard, for taking time to speak with us today. It's uh, very informative. I'm always learning a lot reading your blog and uh, reading your Twitter posts. Um, 
now I have to ask you the question. How do we find you uh, on the internet? On the blog, which is the Eclectic Light Company, which is something like um, HTTPS <laughs> um, eclecticlight.co. Um, I think it'll probably come up reasonably high in Google now. We're, we're getting a lot of uh, views and hits and things, so it shouldn't be hard to find. And if you want to contact me personally, um, go into the About page on the blog and you will find right at the bottom my email address. Um, or you can grab me on Twitter. It's um, something like at Howard N. Oakley. Um, and um, yeah, just contact me. Loads of people do, and you're always welcome. And if normally, if I don't know something, I won't lie. I'll tell you. <laughs> That's excellent. It's a it's a trait uh, that everyone should follow. <laughs> um, you are too kind, Howard. Uh, I want to thank you again, um, and uh, I want you to wish you a lovely day. And I hope you get your tea and your tea time. Um, Thank you very much, Anita. It's been a real pleasure speaking to you. I look forward to it again, maybe sometime in the future. Yeah, definitely. Thank Take you care. so much. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you to our Mac DevOps YVR 2020 sponsors. Our sponsors for Mac DevOps YVR, the conference 2020. Mac Stadium, our platinum sponsor. Thank you so much for helping us out. Sauce Labs, our gold sponsor, Simple MDM, our silver sponsor, and Adigy, our bronze sponsor, as well as Elastic, our community sponsor. Thank you so much. Uh, we couldn't do it without you, and uh, we appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thank you for joining us today for the Mac DevOps podcast. Thank you to our guests, and thank you to our co-hosts. Today's episode was edited by JD Strong. Please like and share this podcast on your favorite podcast service. I don't know, Howard, if you're recording on your end. Um, uh, no, I, I'm, I'm not intending to, if you don't mind. That's fine. Not a problem. What, what, what you get, you get. <laughs> that works. I, I can do the whole thing again if you really need to, and I'll give you a completely different story and set of answers as well. <laughs>